0: I'm Sarah Jessica Parker, and I'm hosting Saturday Night Live this week with special musical guest REM Speedwagon.
1: That's just REM. Whatever. You like it, a juice?
2: You like it? Fuck you! I didn't like this juice. I'm not even gonna <laughs> goddamn pretend for the sake of this bit.
1: Uh, well, welcome to first off, welcome to Saturday Night Jive, where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. Uh, this week we are talking about Saturday Night Live specifically Season 20, Episode 5, hosted by Sarah Jessica Parker and musical guest R.E.M. Uh, This is a notoriously bad episode, and if you would have asked me three hours ago if this is one of the worst episodes of Saturday Night Live, I would have said 100% absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I picked this episode to watch, because it's really, really bad. I didn't hate it. I
2: didn't... (laughs) Go fuck yourself. Okay, first off, <laughs> I mean, notoriously it, bad. You're wrong. You're you're making this up.
1: Uh, that, this is no, this, that is this. That is notorious.
2: It's, not, it's bad. I don't think it's notoriously bad. I think this is a self fulfilling prophecy. You know why? Because I uh, looked this up online. Because remember, I remember last week you mentioned like, oh, uh, I don't. I think the rumor was that they didn't write the episode because Michael O'Donoghue had died that week, so the the sketches weren't really written. Mm-hmm. That's not a rumor. That's something you posited as a theory on your blog, because that's the only thing that fucking comes up when I search for this goddamn episode. Oh, really? Yes. Well, And in your head, that's
1: been a rumor that you
2: heard. You made it
1: up. <laughs> no, there's actually a couple reasons why this episode uh, was kind of doomed to fail. One was Michael O'Donoghue died that week. Two was uh, Lauren Michaels' child was born this week. I believe everything went OK, but there was complications. There was like moments where they thought that they were going to lose the baby. So Lauren Michaels was dealing with that. And then this was also the week that the Democrats got their asses handed to them by the Republicans and lost control of the House and the Senate. So there were a lot of like moving parts to come together to make this shit show that we're about to talk about.
2: Do you think based on the, the logic of the classic Robert Downey Jr. film, Heart and Souls, Michael O'Donoghue's ghost has been haunting Lauren Michaels' child
1: all this time? Oh my god, that is probably true. <laughs> Remember that movie that nobody listening to this has ever seen? Uh, I mean, the only thing I know about Reincarnation is that uh, you get on a bus driven by David Paymer, and then you, uh, you uh, go into a baby. Well, you don't go into a baby. Well, I guess you do. Well, you, you gotta got watch *Hard Baby*, results. and
2: th- they do possess Robert Downey Jr. I believe at several points in the film, right? But that's
1: not why they were there. They were there. They were sent to Rock Baby* Robert Downey Jr. to get his help in finishing their unfinished business, so they could pass on, and then their souls could go into a newborn baby. So I think what is supposed to happen is when you die, your soul just gets sucked out of you and goes into the next life that's being born. But they were given an extra chance because they died uh, not of their own fruition or accidental. But the reason it was Robert
2: Downey Jr. was he was born at the exact moment. Wasn't that the, the point? I
1: think so, yeah. They got sucked yeah. to like the nearest baby that was being born.
2: I was going to say that that's a great movie and we should watch it, but uh, maybe we just were dumb kids who saw that movie and it probably doesn't hold up and actually
1: sucks. I've seen that in my adult years and uh, I that's a good movie. I would definitely watch that just uh, to watch a, a good film if we want to watch Heart and Soul's.
2: Maybe some other week when I don't want to punish you with whatever movie I pick next week. You sure you don't want to watch Heart and Souls next week? By the way, prefacing this, I'm punishing you twice. Because I'm punishing you with whatever movie I decide, which could be Fart the Movie, I don't know. I'm going to hang that sort of damn please over your head for as long as I can. But I've also decided... I just decided this at random. I'm going to select the next and we're back as well. And it's going to be Queen Shaniqua.
1: Um... Queen Shanika's a weekend update only character. I don't think that would be a good one.
2: Really? Because I looked it up online and she has like nine
1: appearances. (laughs) Yeah, I believe she's only an update.
2: I just assumed it must have had its own sketch for how often it was there.
1: No, that, yeah, that wouldn't be a good one. Because that's basically just an Ellen Clegghorn, you know, written piece. You know, where basically she talks about black women issues. And that was crazy because that was never on Saturday Night Live ever.
2: Well, then I guess I got to find another shitty and we're back to punish you with.
1: Oh, if you want to go, I mean, if you want to go real bad, Kenan Thompson has Virginia Hastings, which is his sassy black woman character that he did like five or six times. Was
2: it also an update bit or was that an actual sketch?
1: uh, That was actual sketches.
2: I mean, I might put that on a list. That better be Uh, on your wheel
1: now. It's already there. I have a list of recurring characters we could do. Virginia Hastings, and Starkeisha, Finesse Mitchell's sassy black woman character, are options on my wheel. You've mentioned
2: Starkeisha before, and yeah, I... I, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe Saturday Night Live is racist. I guess we've never talked about that before, ever on this <laughs> podcast.
1: Yeah, no, don't worry. I got all the racist recurring characters covered. <laughs> well... I don't need your help in that department.
2: We got a racist character that I, in my memory was a recurring character,
1: but I guess was not. No, uh, I've said this before because you said Mike Myers had a recurring character. He did have a Japanese man he did twice. I think his name was Dennis Wu and he was like a Japanese, Japanese real estate mogul. So he had that, but he also just played a lot of Chinese and Japanese characters. In fact, season 20, where this episode comes from, He has like a a Cal Ripken-like streak of racism where it's like eight episodes in a row he is playing an ethnic race that he's not. This is one of them. And I believe – and I know in the John Turturro episode he plays another Chinese man. So this might have been the start of his, his racist streak. See, I
2: must just be conflating all of those different characters in my head as if they're the same character.
1: Yeah, no, he he, ching-chonged it up a lot on SNL, Mr. Mike Myers did, which we'll get to. And, and yeah, I like this episode is bad. Watching it today, I didn't hate it until after update. Like, after Norm leaves and Mike Myers comes out as ching-chong, that's when the episode really falls off a fucking cliff real hard.
2: You know, every time you defend this fucking episode, I'm gonna re- just bring up another fucking punishment movie on my list you know cool as ice the ice tea movie is on my (laughs) list we can watch that next week
1: i I wouldn't be opposed to watching cool as ice would you agree with me that this episode starts strong i think the cold open to this episode is pretty damn funny i guess i made some mistakes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no
0: sir really this is hard enough as
1: it is if you could
0: uh, one mistake I'll tell you right away was not to answer some of those negative ads. Uh, jeez, like the one my opponent ran, uh, showing that murdered nun next to a picture of me smiling with my thumbs up. I thought, uh, you know, that one was a little much. But, uh, still, I wish him well. He's our congressman now. No, he isn't! Sir, yes, he is. I'm from another district! Oh, Okay, I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, sketch, this opening sketch would have worked as a sketch. As a cold open, it doesn't make any sense, because it feels like it's topical, but it and it is kind of, but it's not, because that's not a real guy that Chris Elliott is playing. That's just a, a pastiche of politicians. Because, like... You, when you see the court open and you see it's like a political thing, you assume, oh, that's something that happened, so that must be a real guy that they're referencing. The Democrats lost big in that election, so Chris Elliott is just a Democrat that lost big, and that's the premise of the sketch, which, for what it is, it's fine, but like, I was kept thinking, like, do I need to fucking look up this guy? Do I have to fucking figure out what the fuck they're talking about? And they weren't talking yeah. about anything.
1: Well, and that's what I like about it, because, you know, watching old-ass episodes of SNL, the worst part is going like, Fuck, I don't remember what Ronald Reagan did in 1986. Get the fuck out of here, old-ass SNL rerun I'm watching. But this one, he's just uh, uh, representing all the Democrats. Because this was, you know, the Democrats just got fucking wiped out in the midterms. And that's when you got Newt Gingrich, the Republicans took control of the House and Senate. And we basically got the, you know, not the birth of the Republican Party, but the popular popularization of the Republican Party that we know and love today. This was yeah, kind no, of that, the start that, of
2: it. That basically all started with Gingrich, and and yeah, we know that in retrospect. But I guess even back in the time that, that well, I guess I'm, I'm skipping ahead to the monologue and just how cringy it was. That's like we're all Democrats and we hate what happened in this election, and so do you, right? And they probably they're probably right. Most of the audience are probably liberal, but like it still just felt very fucking like I don't
1: know, like like you're just taking it for granted that like no Republicans fucking watch SNL. I know that's and that's something that like really hit me hard in the Trump era. It's like when Trump got elected, SNL's stance was we're all against this. And I'm like, he got like 50 percent of the fucking vote. <laughs> like half of your audience is probably Trump supporters. But your stance is no, this was a bad thing that happened when half the country was fucking happy.
2: I mean, I understand a little more now because it's like. You can't cater to conservatives comedically. What are, what are the jokes going to be? Hey, isn't it hilarious how COVID was a China virus?
1: Like, yeah, no, that's true. And, and that's why I f- remember when Fox News did, like, a daily show where they were like, we're going to do our own daily show. And I, it, like, lasted, like, a week. Yeah.
2: Well, they do that now. They have uh, that fucking Greg Gutfeld guy as a comedian, ostensibly a comedian. And uh, I think The Five, was it The Five? Or maybe it's just a I, think so. I mean,
1: I, I am so checked out of all media. I don't watch any news left ri- left wing, right wing. I, I can't stand any of it. I don't watch any of it. But every time I come across a clip of that, I'm like, is this like a news show or is this like they're like the funny guys that work at Fox News who got their own show and they're like, we're going to come up with some quips. I think it was supposed to be sort
2: of their answer to like John Oliver. So like it's still... Commentary more so than like like that. What I forget, remember what the fucking Fox News show was, but like that had like sketches and shit. I don't think they do sketches on the Greg Gutfield show. Again, I yeah I don't fucking watch it. I just see clips sometimes, but but yeah, I just I don't think I don't think you could I don't think conservatives you can do anything that relates to them as human beings because they're not human beings anymore.
1: I well I mean yeah you're hardcore ones, but I I feel like there's some people I don't know. <laughs> I hate talking about this because I hate generalizing people just based on who they voted for. I would like to think that there are people who voted for Trump who are just like, uh, no, I still like comedy. <laughs> like, I'm still oh, no. a human being. They still like <laughs> comedy, but
2: for them, comedy is like when a trans person kills themselves because they were made to feel bad by uh, conservatives. That's what's funny to them. The, like, know. normal things aren't funny to them.
1: It like, gets so fucking... Gross on on both sides, but you know, not on on both sides. On on one one side more than the other,
2: Uh, and I don't care. I'm I'm willing to talk about get as cringy as we can can about politics because if I don't tell we don't talk about that. We got to talk about the Sarah Jessica Parker episode of Saturday live
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say this Chris Elliott cold open. I fucking laughed at. He's given his concession speech. Chris Elliott's funny. I will say they only show it like for a brief second. But if that Chris Elliott headshot, that poster is still hanging around Studio 8H, please someone find that and mail it to me because I want that hanging on my wall. Just that Chris Elliott for fucking senator head.
2: Yeah, my thing with this sketch, and again, if it had been a, a complete sketch, they might have gone where I wanted it to go. It needed to go further in terms of what I think the central premise was, was. He made, But he talks about like all the mistakes he made and how obvious in hindsight they are. Regrets? Jeez, uh, I guess I've had a few. Uh, I don't know. I suppose I shouldn't have sunk all my money into
0: print advertising instead of television, but uh, <laughs> that's something I'll just be playing over and over again up here in the weeks to come. Uh, I honestly just felt people read
2: more. and uh, uh, They should have like had like, a few more beats of like, I shouldn't have been trying to court the Nambla vote so hard, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, just I make it like so, you know, ridiculous how terrible a politician he was. I feel like they didn't get get to where I needed them to be in this sketch.
1: Well, I think it's more so, and this might might be like a Jim Downey written piece too. Uh, you know, it's less about that and more just about how yeah, the Democrats just really sucked in nineteen ninety six. Like all of them fucking lost. Every like the Republicans won like every fucking. House seat that was up for grabs that year. Apparently, except for Ted Kennedy. They mentioned that in Weekend Update. He was like the only guy who won.
2: Yeah, and I mean, uh, Mario Cuomo isn't the mayor of New York. I know. Isn't that sad?
1: I just, Aren't I, we all I, sad about that?
2: <laughs> you know, I'd forgotten Mario Cuomo existed, and now I remember, and now I'm sad.
1: <laughs> uh, but Chris Elliott makes this good. It's short, it's sweet. It gets in and out. Uh, yeah, I fucking love Chris Elliott. You get Jay Moore as Mickey Rourke and uh, Tim Meadows fuck as Rick was James. That? <laughs> I think that was, I don't. I really don't understand that joke. But those were his celebrity endorsements. Who he's thanking for working on the campaign? Mickey Rourke and Rick James. I think it's just a joke about you know. Who would be the worst people to be on your campaign bus?
2: Well, I think the scandals that we associate them would have been fresh at that time. Like, I think he probably just got pinned for, you know, kidnapping that woman at some, you know, like, around uh, that time.
1: I think Rick James went to jail for rape in, like, the 80s. Oh, was it that that early? I hmm. think so. And then Mickey Rourke has always been... Mickey Rourke probably punched abroad in 1995. Just
2: well, there was a joke at this episode aired. There was a joke in weekend update about that that his former girlfriend was a fashion model and didn't want him at the fashion show. I assume because he smacked her around.
1: Oh yeah, I didn't even put those two together. I remember that Norm joke. And then okay, and so now we start getting uh, we start getting sucky. Sarah Jessica Parker monologue. She's she's upset about the Democrats losing show. So she uh, ignites our spirit with a song and she sings Tomorrow from Annie because she played Annie on Broadway.
0: Just thinking about tomorrow. Ann Richards and Tom Foley clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow of Jesse Helms chairing the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. (laughs) Till there's none. And you too, President Clinton, I want you to remember this. When I'm stuck with a day, that's gray and newt gingrich i just stick out my chin and grin and say oh i just want to say a quick congratulations to ted kennedy for a great win you really you pulled it out you know you dropped 10 or 15 pounds and you look fantastic your skin looks good too so keep up the good fight tomorrow tomorrow I love you no, tomorrow. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, stop singing. Yeah. What's wrong? Well, well, you're singing about the Democrats, and I... basically we're all Republican here at the show, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're pretty happy about the victory. You're serious? Every, everyone here is a Republican? Oh, yeah. Very Republican. The cast, writers, stagehands, even Ellen, Clay Horn. But more importantly, we really don't like the Annie song. And uh, finally, with the Republican Congress, that song may be outlawed.
2: Yeah, Well, I want to get to the Republican thing in a second. But first, I want to talk about Sarah Jessica Parker. And I find it hard to blame her for it. It feels like she's just sort of around a, a dumpster fire rather than the, the thing igniting it. But at the same time, we talk about this all the time when a, when a host comes in, there's a celebrity comes in to host SNL. I We presume that they come to the writer's room and the, and the writers are like, well, what can you do? What impressions can you do? What secret talents do you have? Sarah Jessica Parker clearly went into the fucking writer's room and was like, you know what I can do? I can sing. 100%. No, you <laughs> fucking can't, Sarah Jessica Parker. You tried it three times in this goddamn thing and they sucked worse every time. <laughs>
1: She sings throughout this episode, and she sings in her monologue uh yeah, it's, she's not good, I want to say maybe she's having an off night because she did she played Annie on Broadway, that was like her first I don't know if you called her claim to fame, but like that was
2: Wait, she would have uh, been a little kid her first right gig. yeah, so yeah, sure, okay, fine she didn't she didn't fucking keep up with practice
1: uh yeah, no, she definitely is not the uh the strongest voice. The only other thing I had about the monologue was, I just like how Mike Myers and David Spade just, like, slink away afterwards. (laughs) And it's not, like, in a character way. It's like, okay, our bit in the monologue is done. And they just like, bye -bye."
2: I felt like it should have been one or the other. It should have been just the Annie song, for whatever reason, or... That premise of all the cast is Republican and they're revealing it suddenly like that. You could have done something with that if they gave it time to build as part of the monologue. But as it is, it just feels like a blame capper to a lame thing.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, I'm not telling tales out of school, but the monologue is the last thing they write during the week. So it's usually not well thought out. The monologue is just whatever they came up with the night before.
2: Uh, but yeah, my only note was I did like the line, "Yeah, we're all Republican, even Ellen Cleghorn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was funny. Uh, and then e- Eternal Rest, our commercial parody. This was this was fucking classic.
0: She looks so serene. Thanks to Eternal Rest, and don't forget new Eternal Rest casket air freshener.
2: Does it last forever?
0: Well, no, just through the period where it would really stink.
2: Uh, it's a commercial for custom mattresses for uh coffins so you can let your your uh dead relative rot in peace i guess
1: but that's not the best part of the sketch the best part is (laughs) the time lapse dramatization (laughs) where they show an old lady just decaying enjoying her eternal rest mattress
2: Well, no, for me, the best part of the sketch was there's a line in it, which I feel like is a perfect metaphor for SNL, both this episode and as a whole. And it's when they say, does it last forever? No, just through the period when it would really stink. (laughs) I feel like that should be on SNL's tombstone.
1: That should have been the tagline for season 20. Uh, This is just the part where it really stinks.
2: But no, this was the high point. This was the best thing in the episode, as
1: far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I think so. We don't, uh, yeah. Outside of Norm McDonald, it doesn't really get much better than you turn a rest, because uh, our leadoff sketch—what we're starting off with—a hey, forget about it. Uh, hey, it's-, it's Good Morning Brooklyn.
0: Hello, and welcome to Good Morning Brooklyn. I'm Angela Evans. With me, as always, is James Barone. All right. Good morning, Brooklyn. How are you, huh? Yeah, all right. Hey, James, how you doing? Uh, you know I'm doing all right. You doing all right? I just said I'm doing all right. Forget about it now. Hey, what, do you on drugs talking to me like that? All right, all right I'm
2: sorry. Come on.
0: Ah, forget about it. All right.
2: It. I mean, I've always said the, the essence of humor... Is the fact that people from Brooklyn sound like retards. This is
1: everything I hate about SNL accents, talk shows, fucking recurring characters. You cannot stand Good Morning, Brooklyn. And I remember I read Jay Moore's book about SNL, and <laughs> I, I laughed out loud when I read the sentence I was getting ready, the lights were going up, and there we are, my sketch. Good morning, Brooklyn. And he's talking about it like it's fucking anything of quality. This is the shittiest fucking sketch. Now, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but
2: wasn't this also a recurring sketch?
1: This is the first time they did it, but uh, he did it, uh, again, I believe, in the Courtney Cox episode of this season. So it appeared twice.
2: Because I feel like they've also done other sketches pretty much just like this with... It's a talk show with an obnoxious... I mean, I guess that's the Linda Richmond too, but, like, I mean, with
1: a... I was just about to say, this is coffee talk, but with a dude instead of a dude in a dress.
2: uh, Well, it was the first of two sketches where I went, poor Janine Garofalo, you clearly hate being here.
1: I know, and uh, and again, this is episode five. This is the fifth episode of the season. Janine Garofalo is already one foot out the fucking door. She's like, I don't like being here. Stop putting me in sketches. I will give the least amount of effort if you continue to put me in them.
2: Well, see, that's the thing. I don't think she is phoning it in necessarily. I think she's fine. I think she's as good as anything can be in these episodes and in these sketches. She's not given any material to work with, but like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't detect her, like, you know, letting that show, but it's just, it's clear on her face that she fucking hates being there.
1: Yeah, she does not like being there. And then, yeah, Adam Sandler does a goofy Brooklyn voice. Chris Farley comes out and gets hit in the crotch. That's about all I got.
2: Yeah, no, that's that that sucked. And then the next thing sucked. My only note is, what the fuck was this?
0: This is a song about love and what it means to me. Girl, we've been together for so long. Our love's so very. About eight thirty! That is gone and you feel it dirty. You are like a monkey in and to the pizza. I'm going to give it to you good. You got to give it to me good. I'm going to give you the yeah, said, oh, yeah, Oh yeah. Said, uh-huh. oh,
1: no, be all right. yeah me all right. What the fuck was this? Okay. Again, if you would have asked me three hours ago, George, do you hate the dueling guitarist sketch from the Sarah Jessica Parker episode? I would say yes. That is one of the worst things that's ever been on SNL. Yeah. I kind of liked it. Oh, fuck you so hard. <laughs> I felt I, like I, do, I don't understand it. One, it's okay. So, to hey, hey it George, up, do you want to watch Joe's apartment next week? I can watch Joe's apartment next week.
2: Anyway, go on.
1: Uh, all right. So, so to set this up, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is singing a song with Michael McKeon, and it's a nice song about like, oh, I love you so much, and you're my honey bun. And then Adam Sandler comes in, and he's doing a rock guitar, and he's like, yeah, and I'm going to give you the wood like a good boy should, and he's all screaming and shit. Um, and that's it. That's It's not really a sketch. It's just like a musical performance. It's in front of home base. G.E. Smith is in the background. Like, this should have just been the monologue. Like, Sarah Jessica Parker comes out and says, Hey, it's been great. And, you know, what I really love is singing. And I'm going to sing a song about love. And then Michael McKeon comes out. They sing. And then Adam Sandler comes out. This should have just been the monologue. I don't know why it's just here. Why they don't even have a fucking set behind them. (laughs) Like, they could have just put them in a fucking set. Well... The
2: thing about this, and I'm not a hundred percent on this, and I didn't look it up because I couldn't bring myself. I didn't have the energy to do any research. But I am like thirty to forty percent sure that this was an Adam Sandler. Well, I mean, it's an Adam Sandler bit, but like that he, something he did on one of his albums after this. So, like, this is something I don't he think wrote. So.
1: You don't think so? I believe this is written by Michael McKeon.
2: Really, because I, I remember something very similar to this on um, either They're All Gonna Laugh at You or the only other one I listened to, which I can't remember the name of. Well,
1: all Adam Sandler songs are the same.
2: Maybe, but I just, I, I seem to remember this specific instruction in on an al- Adam Sandler album. So I think that's why, because it's not a real sketch, because I don't think it was ever intended to be a sketch.
1: Oh, like a good boy singing and then a bad boy singing? Yeah. And then the girl in between? I don't... Maybe there's something similar, but I'm almost fairly positive this was just written by Michael McKeon.
2: I mean, it's Um, entirely possible he stole this for one of his albums and it was written by Michael McKeon.
1: That's entirely possible as well. But yeah, it's just Sarah Jessica Parker and she's torn between two lovers, Michael McKeon, the good boy, and Adam Sandler, the bad boy. And they just sing this song. I think knowing what it is made me appreciate it or not appreciate it, but not hate it as much. And then I actually I honestly laughed when they brought out Tim Meadows is just Adam Sandler's like, oh, yeah. And I brought my friend Zach who works at Midas and then Tim Meadows is singing. I'm going to give you the wood like for some reason that just tickled me.
2: Well, it's basically a Joe Ratchman joke.
1: I know, that's why I loved it. It's just, oh, and here's this other random guy, and we're going to tag team you tonight, Sarah Jessica Parker. He works down at the Midas.
2: And I refuse to explain what Joe Ratchman is to anyone who doesn't already know what it is.
1: Um, Uh, No, I think that's like, uh, you know, uh, it's a script writing term. Yeah. (laughs) The the Joe Ratchman.
2: (laughs) Like a MacGuffin. I think Hitchcock came up with it. Yeah. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) But no, this, that, no, I, I kind of find, I kind of found that somewhat amusing, but the whole sketch was such a mess. And like, at the end of it, they're like, put down that gun, but he doesn't have a gun.
1: That, that has always bothered me ever since I first saw this. Like, cause at the end of the song, you know, Adam Sanders, like, I'm going to give you the wood. And then finally Michael McKeon breaks and he starts screaming at them. And he's like, what are you guys talking about? Get the fuck out of here. And then they immediately cower and then say, we were only having fun, please put away your gun. But he's not holding a gun. Like, they couldn't build a set? They couldn't find a prop gun to just hand to Michael McKeon? They faithfully recreated the set for The Wizard of Oz for Munchkinland. (laughs) We have talked about this many times. SNL usually goes unneedingly overboard with their production design. But for some reason, for this little song and dance number, they're like, um, who cares? You'll see G.E. Smith in the background. And uh, no, we don't have any guns. Yes, I know you have a line that references a gun, but you don't get one for this sketch. See, but
2: this is also where I think this was on an album or planned for that, because that would make sense on an album, that you would have that line, but you wouldn't need to have a gun. So I think they were just lazy and didn't translate the, the thing that was written for an album onto the stage.
1: So you're telling me Adam Sandler wrote a song and then he's like, hey, we could do this on the show. And they're like, oh, do you need any props? And he's like, no, we didn't have any props when we recorded the song. You, you're saying this as if that's too stupid for Adam Sandler. I, I don't believe it no we recorded this song in the studio we didn't we just had guitar i need a guitar and michael McKee needs a guitar and, and that's all we need that's all we had when we recorded the song
2: it makes as much <laughs> sense as putting the line in there and not having a fucking gun on
1: stage i suppose so and then rem takes the stage did you watch any of the three musical performances as a matter, a matter of reason? fact
2: for the first time i fucking did because this was so bereft of entertainment that even though I'm only like a, at best a casual REM fan, I like their singles and stuff but I've never listened to an REM album. but like I needed something that wasn't awful. so I was like, I guess I'll listen to bang, bang and blame.
1: And then we get Mr. Norm Macdonald a Weekend Update. Uh, I wrote down a couple of fucking wonderful Norm jokes.
2: Uh, I only wrote down one that I really liked, which was... Uh... <laughs> a French
0: man who calls himself the Snake Man was arrested this week after climbing up the side of a Manhattan high-rise. Yep, he climbed right up the side of a high-rise. Just like a snake. <laughs>
1: They showed that joke during his uh, SNL obituary, the episode that came on after he died. They showed a bunch of like like five or six Norm jokes, and that was one of them. My favorite was- A new
0: hangover-free vodka is on the market. Yeah, the ads claim that the 80-proof vodka is so pure, it's virtually headache-free. But before you run out and buy it, remember, it causes massive anal bleeding. <laughs> oh, I
2: just. We can't talk enough about how fucking great Norm is, even in shit like this.
1: Uh, well, this is just Norm. This was the thing about season 20. You know, when I was watching this, because uh, I stayed up every night to watch Saturday, or not every night. I stayed up every weekend to watch Saturday Night Live during this season, because uh, it was the season when I was on uh, in high school. And I knew the show sucked. Like, the show blew but I would always just be like, well, at least here's norm. Give me five minutes of fucking norm a week and I'm a happy camper.
0: Liza Minnelli has gotten word she'll have to have a hip replacement operation. This marks the first time in 15 years that the name Liza Minnelli
2: and the word hip have been used in the same sentence. (laughs) And then we get Gil, was it Gil Gunderson? What the fuck is his name?
1: Gil Graham. Gil Graham. Uh, This was a, a... I think maybe twice Adam Sandler did this. Uh, his bit is he's a music correspondent, but he all his stories about rock and roll are just about him getting mercif- mercilessly beaten at rock concerts.
2: I don't mind this sketch in principle, like like as a premise on paper, it makes. I I, I don't mind the idea of like a critic that doesn't actually see the thing that they're they're providing critique of and their whole story like they, they have the same sort of like you know flavor of a, of a critic a critic's piece but just talking about how they didn't get a chance to see the movie because something happened that's I can see that working the problem is it's just a goofy shitty Adam Sandler voice and I hate the character <laughs>
1: I was in such a trance-like state, I didn't realize I was disrupting Snow White's performance. You know, there are seven dwarves, but apparently that day, all of them were grumpy. They pounded me
0: viciously in front of several thousand people for an inappropriate amount of time.
1: One would think that their tiny fish would have little effect. But their combined impact was similar to that of a severe hailstorm. Their underdeveloped hands reached into places I didn't think were possible.
0: Causing momentary pleasure, then unspeakable pain.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of his little Nicky. It's the same voice and kind of same facial mannerisms. And same
2: hairstyle, pretty much, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, this is just... <laughs> Adam Sanders like, well, I can't make a Gil Graham movie. What if I just pawn the same character and he's the son of the devil? That's the thing of all the things. What if he was... Because it's also, yeah, a rock musician thing. This was clearly the
2: inspiration for fucking Little Nicky. I never even put yeah. that together. Holy shit.
1: No, he's he's definitely doing little Mickey. Um, this is another. This is a character that, again, if you would have asked me three hours ago, do I hate Gil Graham? The answer would be a hundred percent yes, I do. But maybe I'm, I was just looking at the glass half full. I kind of like this. I I got a laugh when uh, he he went to Radio City Music Hall to see the Rock Cats, and he ended up getting beaten up by Snow White Seven Dwarves. And he's like, those little hands were going in places I never knew possible. Uh, what did he say? Causing oh. momentary pleasure and then unspeakable pain.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a bad. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's just annoying. And I and I just yeah.
1: I had enough. the voice is very grating,
2: and it's like right after fucking Good Morning Brooklyn, which is all about hey, isn't it hilarious how they have these fucking annoying loud voices, and then I get another annoying loud voice character. I I, I had enough. I
1: didn't need any more. Yeah. Uh, and, okay. So now we're getting in the back half of this episode, uh, which I'm just gonna call, uh, the fucking wasteland of Saturday Night Live. Fortune cookie factory. Uh, let's take a trip to the much-smart fortune cookie company.
0: Uh, what are, what are you people doing in here? What are you doing in here? All these fortune cookies are empty. Where are the fortunes that you are supposed to write for me? Huh? Where are they? Uh I don't know, why Why even bother? You know, they're probably terrible, like you. Why I pay you for, anyway?
1: Okay. <sighs> <laughs> the reality of this sketch, I don't quite understand. We got Mike Myers in Yellowface, and it's a fortune cookie factory where they write the fortunes on the fortune cookie. His employees are David Spade, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Jay Moore. All just, like... Random white people? It's like, I don't understand if that's supposed to be a joke. Like, they're like, you know, just like what you would imagine, like, a a writer to look like, you know?
2: Well, no, it's it's because all of their Asian cast members were uh, sick that week.
1: Well, that's never stopped them before. Like, I'm, I'm wondering why the choice wasn't made to make them all Asian. To make David Spade be a Chinese guy writing the fortune cookie.
2: I mean, is it possible they got halfway through... And, like, Mike Myers was like, oh, yeah, I'll do Mr. Yuniyoshi. Fuck, I don't give a shit. But David Spade was like, I'm not putting, like, slanny eyes fucking uh, tape over me-, me to make me look like. Like, I wonder if, like, did they have, like, just a little bit more pride in themselves?
1: I highly doubt it because David Spade's done Ching Chong on the show, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Jay Moore ever did, but Jay Moore's done. Just because he I wasn't mean, in
2: that... enough sketches. He wasn't around long enough to debase himself I, racially.
1: Yeah, no, I'm sure he would if given the opportunity. Um, if you would have said Sarah Jessica Parker refused to do it, I would believe that. But I, I don't believe if they wrote a sketch with a bunch of Chinese people, I don't think David Spade and Jay Moore would have gone. Oh, we can't do that. We're not Chinese. Like that's just not a thought that would pop in their head.
2: Hey, uh, Jay Moore, we uh, want to do another one of those uh, Good Morning Brooklyn sketches, but we're going to retool it. You got to play an Indian guy now.
1: I'm on it. Good morning, Bo- Good Morning Bombay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, So that's the reality of the sketch is is Mike Myers is upset that the fortunes and the fortune cookie aren't up to snuff. So he fires David Spade. He fires Sarah Jessica Parker. Jay Moore is the guy who does the lucky numbers on the back. And I mean, in a better sketch, that would have been a better gag is that Mike Myers, he's reading the lucky numbers and he's like, what do you have? What do you have? Uh, seven. Okay. Fourteen. Uh-huh. Twenty-three. Uh-huh. Forty-seven. Forty-seven? What are you talking about? Get the fuck out of here. Like, that's kind of a funny joke. But it's given by Mike Myers and Ching Chong.
2: I just, I, I kept thinking of, there. do you remember there was a, I don't know if you ever watched uh, the um, Upright Citizens Brigade, the TV show?
1: Uh, not all of it, but. Most of it, because
2: they had a a really funny fortune cookie based sketch where they're all at a Chinese restaurant and they're opening up their fortune cookies and they're playing the in bed game, but one of them keeps getting like obvious like references to his sexual inadequacy, (laughs) like you are just incredibly limp and flaccid in bed. Come on, (laughs) but like that, and that's like a funny premise attached to fortune cookies, or I was thinking, like, what could you do, like, what if they're, like, coming eerily true, like, it's a mystical thing, and it's like, you will die of cancer immediately, and then he, or something, I don't know, but, like, all we get is fortune cookies are bad, because they're written badly, and this guy hates that, and he owns the restaurant, and then fucking Chris Farley comes in as Confucius, what the fuck was any of this, independent of the racism, it's just poorly conceived.
1: Yeah, because well, he keeps saying, like, when he's firing his writers, he's like, oh no, you're no good. You should go work for Bazooka Joe. You
0: must keep it simple. Something like win some, lose some. You know, they get the idea. Now
1: yeah, well, then you've completely corrupted my original intent.
0: Oh, shut up. <laughs> what do you know about success, anyways? You all time failure. You know, I'm tired of you. Why don't you go work for Bazooka Joe?
1: Huh? And then Confucius comes out. Chris Farley as Confucius. And he's reading his wisdom, but he's getting it from Bazooka Joe comics, and Mike Myers loves it. So I—that that is somehow the joke, is that this guy doesn't like Bazooka Joe, but when Confucius reads Bazooka Joe comics, he enjoys it? I think this is one of the worst sketches in SNL history.
2: And I will admit that when I was a kid and saw this sketch, and I remember this, I remember laughing at Chris Farley's performance in this just because it's goofy, and I don't think I understood the racial dimension of it. It was just him doing a wacky voice. But now I recognize it, and it's fucking awful.
0: He who laughs last
2: must not get
0: choked. That is so good! Oh, my God, that is the best! Oh, you're a genius, man. How do you do it?
1: Uh, come to me, I not it is fucking awful, but at the same time, I kind of smiled at Farley. I can't help it.
2: I can't. Even the Good Morning Brooklyn, when he showed up as the karate guy for like five seconds, yeah. I was like, well, at least it's Farley. Yeah,
1: no, his, his performance as Confucius, I don't take issue with in 1995, because I don't know if anyone took issue with this in 1995. Obviously not, because like I said, Mike Myers goes on to play Asian people in the next like seven episodes of the show.
2: You know, that's something, I mean, I don't want to punish myself with it, but I'm kind of morbidly curious to watch the, that fucking Netflix show he did, the Penta Venerate or whatever. Oh yeah. Like, it was like a five episodes, I would, like, I, would that, do you think that would be worth it to like, watch just the, like the first episode
1: as an episode of our uh? Uh, I- I heard it's supposed to be really terrible.
2: I wouldn't want to commit to watching the whole thing, but like maybe like the first two episodes or something, or maybe the first episode and the last episode. and Then we just try to imagine what the middle would be.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm morbidly curious about it. I remember when it came out, I was like, maybe I'll check that out. Probably never, but uh, I'll keep it in the back of my head. But I mean, we should probably
2: watch it because the streaming services are like taking off their back catalog now so they don't have to pay residuals to people. I feel like that's going to go pretty soon if it hasn't gone already.
1: (laughs) Netflix is making some tough choices. They're like, hmm, do we keep uh, How I Met Your Mother on the streaming, or do we keep Mike Myers' weird show where he plays a bunch of probably racist characters?
2: And that's that was the other reason I thought about it, is like, how far into that show do we have to get before we get to the first fucking, like, queasy-ass racist caricature?
1: Yeah. Uh, episode three, I imagine. Uh, anything more about Fortune Cookie Factory? It's terrible. It's It's inexcusably bad like this is just bad on paper bad in production this should never have happened
2: and i and you know what i'm gonna throw out my racist bona fides here i am of the opinion that yes racism is bad i'm not that's my hot take but
1: hey wait i thought we weren't getting political on this podcast
2: but i could conceive of a sketch being so funny that i would forgive the racism like, if it was just a brilliant fucking premise, brilliantly executed, but it was a fucking ching-chong, I'd be like, okay, you know, I don't like it, but I'm laughing. And I would say, I guess I gotta, I gotta give it to it, that it, they, they transcended the ickiness of the racism and made me laugh hysterically. Could have happened. The problem with the sketch isn't that it's racist, the problem with the sketch is that it wasn't funny enough to justify
1: being racist. And then the next sketch is the casting couch with Robert Evans.
2: Not racist. Did not like this. It's not racist. That's a good thing. Uh, it, it's
1: rapey as fuck. Yeah, but I mean, that's the point of it. Uh, It's Michael McKeon, and he's hosting a talk show, as everyone on Saturday Night Live does. (laughs)
0: You have some pictures for me? Oh, yes, sir. I I went to the man that you recommended. He charged me $750. Lesson one, baby. Good pictures cost good money. Let's have a look here. Oh, yeah. Very nice. How old did
1: you say you were?
0: I'm 19. Very
1: nice. Yes, and you know Robert Evans was the producer of The Godfather. He's a big blowhard. Just watch the documentary. The kid stays in the picture to see what kind of an egotistical asshole this guy was.
2: Uh, I think you should. I think you should watch the classic animated Comedy Central show where Robert Evans played himself as a super spy. Oh
1: fuck! I forgot about that.
2: I gotta look that up. What the fuck was that even called? Kid Notorious. Um, Kid Notorious is what it was called.
1: Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I forgot about that. But yeah, I do remember that. Because he wrote a book called The Kid Stays in the Picture, and then they turned it into a documentary. And then, yeah, because of that, he kind of became famous again, like, because people knew who he was. (laughs) But, like, the joke was, like oh, this guy's an asshole who just name drops and, you know, he thinks he created the Godfather when he didn't. You know, he takes credit for Chinatown and all these classic movies that he had his name on. But, you know, he was just fucking Harvey Weinstein before Harvey Weinstein.
2: What? Have they?
1: But in the in 1995, that was lovable. We're like, oh, what a lovable man. Did he ever get pinned in the way Harvey Weinstein? Well, not necessarily in that way, like he's in prison
2: or anything, but like, I feel mm-hmm. like he should have been if he wasn't.
1: Um, I, I don't know if anything ever came out about him being like a rapist or anything, but he was definitely sleazy.
2: Oh, definitely. And that's what the sketch is about. But they don't make it a joke, really. I mean, the joke is that he's sleazy. It's not like they they don't elevate it beyond that premise of isn't Robert Evans a guy that you probably think would fuck a lady on a casting couch? Yeah,
1: well, and I mean, you're not supposed to like him. It's not like it's condoning his behavior.
2: No, but like, I didn't like the Ray Romano pimp sketch, but at least the idea of Ray Romano as a pimp is a joke beyond just, aren't pimps funny? There's no joke beyond Yeah, this I think joke. this was
1: more of an excuse for Michael McKeon to do a Robert Evans impression. I mean, the one part where it kind of
2: got close was when they had the call-in, and one of them was a doctor, Janine Garofalo. Going, I think you have skin cancer
0: Hello, Bob Oh, yes, my pet, what can I do for you? Excuse me, hi, I'm Dr. Rosalind Beck I'm in the oncology ward at Sears-Cyanide I was just flipping through the channels and I noticed your face Thank you Listen, this is important, I really think you should have your skin looked at immediately I'm seeing signs of melanoma, I'm seeing first-class lesions Let me tell you about first-class, doctor lady When Francis first bought me The Godfather, he
1: wanted to do it as a play. I said, it's a movie or I walk. I did like that. She's like, I was just watching the show and I was looking at your face. And I think you need to come down and make an appointment.
2: But yeah, other than that, it's just Robert Evans is there and he's on a talk show because who gives a shit. And uh, he fucking wants to rape uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, who's a, I guess, supposed to be like an 18 year old.
1: Uh, Yeah, she's playing like, you know, the fresh off the bus. Coming to Hollywood with big dreams, type of character.
2: But yeah, I got I got nothing for this.
1: It sucked. It was bad. Uh, yeah, no, it's a sucky set, uh, sucky sketch. Uh, and then going into another sucky sketch, Munchkinland.
0: From the sky, she fell very far, and Kansas, she says, is the name of the star. Look, you can keep singing, but we're not coming out. <laughs> what language they speak in Kansas, but we don't no like you. Comprende? I better go, good witch. But thank you. Oh no, my dear one. Come out, everyone. Where are your little munchkin matters? It's Dorothy from Kansas. Nobody cares. Thank you.
1: This, this might be the, I don't know. what. Well, I guess this is the last proper sketch of the show as Munchkin Land. Let's get this out of the way. What what was your least favorite sketch?
2: You know, you'd think Munchkinland. I, I, know, I know you're going there, but, you know, Robert Evans, I think, might have been worse. For me, it's a
1: toss-up between Munchkinland and Fortune Cookie Factory. All
2: three of these, I feel like, are on a wavelength of their own, where it's like any one of them
1: could be the worst sketch. Yeah, no, this episode hits you with a big lump of shit right after Update, where it's like, oh no, it's going to keep getting shittier. Like, you hated that sketch? Well, the next sketch has nothing. And then Munchkinland has... Again, let's bring it up. The fucking production design game in this. They recreate fucking Munchkinland for a sketch. That is nothing. The point of... Dorothy lands in Oz and the Munchkins don't like her. That's the sketch. And then the... Glinda the Good Witch is like, come out, Munchkins, come out. And they're like, no, we don't want to. And she's like, well, come out, come out and say hi to Dorothy. And they're like, no, leave, we don't like you. That's the sketch. And they built fucking sets and costumes. The entire cast is involved in this. Chris Elliott's on his fucking knees, dressed up as a member of the Lollipop Guild. But they didn't write any fucking jokes.
2: Yeah. What? Well, okay. First, what I will say in the sketch's defense is at least uh, Wizard of Oz is a recognizable reference. How many fucking people watching the Robert Evans sketch knew who Robert Evans was?
1: Fair fair point, I suppose.
2: But like, <laughs> at least it's like, oh, I, I know what the Wizard of Oz is. I don't think Janine Garofalo did, because did you notice that she pronounced her, her character's name Dorothy Gall? I did notice that.
1: What the <laughs> fuck was that?
0: Why, I'm not a witch at all. I'm Dorothy Gall from Kansas.
1: And yeah, if you want to see Janine Garofalo completely fucking checked out, this is the sketch for you. And and honestly, like... this I is, don't blame her one goddamn bit, no, by the way. And this is episode five of season 20. The John Travolta episode was season three. I would argue that had some good shit in it. Like, I didn't hate that episode. I thought it was pretty good. Episode four was hosted by Dana Carvey. That episode had some good shit. The first two episodes were pretty bad, but like, not abysmal. This is the first abysmal episode, and I think you could point to Munchkinland as the point where, like, the whole cast was like, fuck this shit. Uh, the
2: only thing that made me laugh was how uh, out-of-place Ellen Cleghorn look, uh, looked as a <laughs> Munchkin <laughs> hiding in the field, just going like, get out of here!
1: <laughs> that was pretty funny. I remember reading in the Live from New York book Chris Elliott name-calling this sketch, is saying, like, I, you know, I'm sitting in the dressing room, I'm getting dressed up as a member of the Lollipop Guild, and I'm trying to find a way to get the fuck off this show.
2: I get the germ of the idea. Somebody's watching Wizard of Oz, and they just ask the the deconstructive question, why do all these munchkins just automatically love Dorothy? They don't fucking know this bitch. Why are they, you know, celebrating and singing about her? And then they're like, that's a sketch. But not every fucking meta point you make about a movie you're watching is a fucking sketch. You need to work a little fucking harder than that.
1: Yeah, and there's give me give me a couple minutes. I could probably think of a funny munchkin sketch like that has a point and has like uh some absurdity and some um, you know, uh misdirections, you know, something that kind of spins the Wizard of Oz lore on its head. This is absolutely there's... nothing. They just don't like her. And tell her literally to leave.
2: as I was saying, as mm-hmm. you were saying that, I came up with it. Because uh, Mike Myers, who is I, actually kind of not bad in the sketch, he comes out as like the mayor of Munchkinland, and he's like, we shouldn't like, she This was a, she fell on the witch by accident, you know, we shouldn't even be celebrating her for that. What I would have done is, you start out, it's Wizard of Oz, and it's normal, the, the Munchkins are coming out and they're celebrating, you killed the Wicked Witch. And then the, Mike Myers comes out as the mayor going, she committed murder, I mean, I know we didn't like the Wicked Witch, but like... We can't just kill our enemies. I mean we gotta we gotta put her on trial. And like he's like he's fighting against like the Oxbridge incident, kind of like or the Oxbow incident, kinda of like, you know, just hang him high attitude, and he's like, no, we have to appreciate the role of Munchkin Law.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fun. Or the Munchkins could just hate her for no reason and just scream at her for three minutes. That's also yeah. a fun sketch.
2: Or at least say like we're suspicious of her because she's tall, you know, or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, and I. They did this kind of same sketch again in like the Fred Armisen years, and I think the thing was she like fell and crushed like a munchkin's house or something, and they were upset with her. That sketch was terrible too, but at least it was like. had a little more something going on in it. Uh, yeah, this sketch is just fucking nothing. And everybody seems to know it's nothing. Like I said, the entire cast is involved in this, and you can just see on their faces that they're like, "What the? This is a fucking turd that we are in right now."
2: That's another thing I wonder about when it comes to like, like you talked about, yeah, the sketch where like everybody's in it, everybody clearly hates it. Who was the writer that had power to say no? This is hilarious, right? We're gonna make the fucking Wizard of Oz set, and you're all gonna be Munchkins, but you're gonna you're not gonna be nice. You're gonna be mean. Like, was th- who was the Karen in that office that was like had seniority and was like, I wrote this Wizard of Oz sketch that's just fucking hilarious,
1: and nobody mm-hmm. could say no to her. Well, yeah, because the sketch has to get past read through before they build the set. But like, this sketch has absolutely nothing going for it. I wouldn't be surprised if this was like guys, we already built the sketch. Like, or we we already built the set. Yeah, I know the sketch sucks, but we already have the set and costumes. Like, we have to go out there with this.
2: And it's, it's another thing where it's like, you mentioned you know, with the Michael O'Donoghue thing, they're all at the funeral. Maybe they didn't write this as hard. This sketch makes me believe that because I feel like they only get away with putting this on the air. if, like this was rejected 20 times and then they were like, the writer was like, nobody's paying attention. They're all at the funeral. This is my time to shine.
1: Right. We got five minutes to kill in the back half. (laughs) Let me blow off the dust on my munchkin script.
2: That's the only explanation for how something this shitty got on air.
1: Yeah. And then the final thing we see in the episode, Mr. Bill Murray comes out to give a eulogy to Michael O'Donohue. And I actually enjoyed this too. I mean, say what you will about Michael O'Donohue, but I thought Bill Murray's uh, speech was funny. Good evening. I'm here to break the news about a death in the family. This week, Michael O'Donohue, one of the original writers and creators of Saturday Night Live, died. He had a tremendous influence on this show and on all of us. He was a writer that the writers, actors, and even the producer feared. And in this business, it's better sometimes to be feared than loved but we're not afraid of him anymore because he's dead. He's dead and he went straight to hell. <laughs> just just to visit the couple of people he had to meet, uh, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Richard Speck, and to await the arrival of Pam Greer.
2: No, he was sweet. I just, the sketch didn't do anything for me.
1: No, it was a weird sketch. Um, I mean, obviously they probably couldn't pull, you know, they wouldn't want to pull something that just Michael O'Donoghue wrote uh, that he wasn't in. But I kind of liked this. It was just, you know, it's... It's interesting, and you know, this, this was from the first five years of the the show, where not everything was always funny, you know? Um, Lorraine Newman could sing, so sometimes they would just write a sketch to show off Lorraine Newman's voice, and that's basically what this is.
0: Oh, Mr. Mike, you know I can't sing anymore, not since I started hitting the sauce. Well, if you want to hear a Least Love Bedtime tale, I'm afraid you're going to have to sing the. Aria from Madame Butterfly. Sing Aria from Madame Butterfly. I can't sing that. I, I I could sing, these boots are made for walking, or any old Nancy Sinatra song. Please, don't make me sing Aria for Madame Butterfly. Please. Sorry, Cupcake, but. No
2: you no bedtime tale. That's how it is. I don't know. It's just it's it's the kind of thing, and I hate to say it because it's a it's about mourning a guy's passing. But I'm glad Michael o- O'Donoghue was dead because he sucked at the thing that I appreciate, which is writing. And it's like this smacks of that pretentious like. I'm going to write an art piece for this fucking late night comedy show. And it's not going to be funny, but it's going to be profound and deep in a way that people aren't going to get, but I get it because I'm urbane and fucking Algonquin round table witty. That's what this fucking seemed like to me. And I thought it fucking sucked
1: Uh, a little bit. And I remember the first time I saw it thinking it sucked too. And I don't think it doesn't suck now, but I don't know. I kind of liked it at the end. Um, and then these Good Nights, everybody looks fucking sad in these Good Nights, too.
2: Oh my god, I know, it's fucking insane. Like, Ellen Cleghorn, speaking of Ellen Cleghorn, just, like, stone-faced.
1: Oh, she is right center behind Sarah Jessica Parker at the Good Nights, just, like, with a fucking frown on her face. Uh, yeah, you can see Janine Garofalo in the background. And then you can see Kevin Nealon, who I don't even think was in the show at all. No, But he's just, like, hanging there, like, nah, no. no. I, I guess I... Have to show up to wave at the good nights, I guess.
2: Yeah, no, that was, I mean, these were particularly sad good nights, and I get why, but Jesus.
1: Uh, yeah, and that's the Sarah Disco Parker episode of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> would you recommend it?
2: Hey, do you want to watch the fucking Muppets that were on SNL for a couple of weeks?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, the Land of Gorch? No, not really. I think you would have a less pleasurable time watching the Land of Gorch. But I guess um, that does get us to the end of our episode, because yeah, I got nothing else to say about Sarah Jessica Parker. One of the one of the worst episodes of Saturday Night Live. So, what are you going to... Oh, wait! We forgot the reason I picked the Sarah Jessica Parker episode. I, did,
2: I didn't forget. I was going to force it on you if you were going to forget. I, yeah, tell I, me. I forgot. Why the fuck did we goddamn watch this fucking piece of shit, you fucking piece of shit. Okay,
1: so as uh, listeners of uh, our last couple episodes might remember... By the way,
2: no, 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 by the way, now that I've seen the episode, not only do I need to know, this better have been fucking worth it. If this isn't fucking worth it, I'm fucking
1: murdering you. (laughs) Uh, If you've listened to our last couple episodes, uh, you may have gathered that I've started doing something where, if I want to pick a movie that has nothing related to SNL... I have to find some kind of SNL connection. So we watched the Ray Romano episode for the distinct purpose of me watching Welcome to Mooseport. I I remember
2: how well that worked out.
1: I picked this episode for a distinct purpose. Uh, As we said, there were many things causing the downfall of this episode. Lord Michaels' child being born and having complications, Michael O'Donoghue's death, uh, the Democratic uh, candidates getting thumped in the election. But there's one other thing that I have neglected to mention up to this point another reason why this episode might not be uh, up to snuff Sarah Jessica Parker was not the first choice to host this episode she was a replacement host do you know who the original host was supposed to be
2: no and I of all the things I looked up trying to figure out what this fucking puzzle you created for me was <laughs> I didn't even think to look up maybe there was a substitute host who was the substitute host and what fucking <clears throat> stupid shit movie am I watching with the men? The original host of this
1: episode was supposed to be Miss Juliette Lewis, who stars in the Gary Marshall classic The Other Sister, which we are watching in two weeks.
2: Fuck you so hard. that To say that wasn't worth it is an insult to the concept of being worth it. <laughs> I've suggested doing The Other Sister just to do it because Gary Marshall is a, an honorary mem- uh, cast member for the show purposes of the show.
1: I know, it's not much of a cheat because we've watched so many shitty Gary Marshall movies we owe it to ourselves to watch The Other Sister, but there's no way we can't not watch The Other Sister starring Juliet Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi.
2: Did Juliet Lewis never go on to host SNL afterwards?
1: No, there is no one in The Other Sister who has ever been on SNL or hosted SNL. I looked. I mean... Okay... So, I got nine. next week, I will be pitching that we watch The Other Sister in two weeks, but that brings us to the conversation that is at hand now. Ben, what would we be watching
2: next week? I just want to say, there are so few things in my life nowadays that uh, elevate me in any way, that give me any kind of excitement. And the prospect of this mystery you'd given me, as annoying as it was... It was there was it was a little something it's like what's it gonna be? I, I maybe maybe it'll fucking change my worldview. That was and to, to come after what such a letdown of a fucking episode that that's the letdown of the mystery. <laughs> I hate you so much right now.
1: Well, I also wanted to. I said the next time we watch an SNL episode, it's gonna be a bad one because we watched the Ray Romano episode. I thought that was unmistakably a great episode of Saturday Night Live. You disagreed. But I said, next time I pick an SNL episode, I'm going to pick a real shitty one. And I think I did. I think I uh, delivered what was promised.
2: Okay. I got a list of some. Some of these are punishment picks. Some of these are just weird. Uh, have you ever seen The Wrong Guys? The the um, uh, Louis Anderson movie? <laughs> <laughs> no. From
1: 1988,
2: where he plays an adult uh, uh, Boy Scout?
1: <laughs> no, but I've heard of it. Uh, I I wouldn't be opposed to that.
2: I mentioned Joe's Apartment, which I've always been curious about.
1: Uh, I I wouldn't be opposed to Joe's Apartment. Uh, have you ever heard of The Whoopi Boys? Uh, absolutely
2: not. I found it because it's from the writer of Revenge of the Nerds, but and this is the SNL connection, the director of The Razor's Edge.
1: Oh, the Bill Murray remake? Yes. The Whoopi Boys. Uh, pff, well, the poster has me intrigued.
2: That's the other reason why I want to watch it because it looks like the stupidest fucking thing in the world. Uh, and Eddie Deason's in it.
1: Um, yeah, and no, I. And Taylor Negron? How have we not watched this movie yet?
2: But I got some other options. Have you ever heard of Wacko from 1982? No. It's kind of a weird companion piece to uh uh Silence of the Hams. It was made in the 80s, but it has like a psycho parody in it, but it's also like a parody of like slasher movies from the 80s, and it's got uh um from uh, from Naked Gun, the, the the Chief.
1: Joe Don Baker, oh, and George Kennedy. And George Stella Kennedy yeah. Stevens. Yeah, I'm looking it up on IMDb. Andrew Dice Clay.
2: And it's supposed to be like one of the worst movies ever
1: made. I, I, I I'm not opposed to it. I don't know, you know, I'm kind of going for Joe's Apartment. Joe's Apartment? Alright, yeah. I can watch that. I've never seen Joe's I have, Apartment.
2: I just, I would have no other reason to ever watch it. So I think I'm going to watch Joe's Apartment next week. Uh, alright. I bet you it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what else was fucking bad? <laughs> the thing we just goddamn watched. Yeah, but I knew that was bad. Have the roaches from Joe's Apartment ever hosted SNL?
1: Ah, uh, they should've. <laughs> They were really popular for a while. I'm surprised they didn't at least musical guest. All right, Jerry O'Connell and uh, and a bunch of roaches. I'm I'm down for that. That's what you. That's what we're settling on.
2: That's what we're settling on. Joe's apartment from 1996. I
1: mean, you sure you don't want to go to the Whoopi Boys? <laughs> I don't want to dissuade you. If you want Joe's apartment, we will be watching. I mean, okay, Joe's apartment. Th-
2: gauge your excitement level for the Whoopi boys because you literally just found out about this movie are you like would you be legitimately more excited to watch the Whoopi boys than joe's apartment
1: i i can't uh answer that question with any sincerity (laughs) i i reject that question and i will not provide an answer to it
2: then i guess we're going with joe's apartment
1: all right so next week we will be watching joe's apartment Uh, until we see if it adds Get off Get the, off the shed. shed!
0: Thank you, I had such a great time. I want to thank REM <laughs> and every single person. Thank you!